Well, when you walked in this morning, I, I hope everyone got a three by five card that looks something like this. And if you didn't get one, you could raise your hand and one of our ushers will give it to you. I'd like for you to take this card out and just look at it for a second. And I'd like for you to grab, you could grab one of the pens that's in front of you or, or if you have one with you that you'd like to use, you grab something to write with. And on the card, this is what I'd like for you to do. I'm going to give you a second to think about this. I'd like for you to write down something that if God would do it, it would be an amazing thing. What is a prayer in your life that you would love to see God respond to? And I'd, I'd like for you to think about it and, and, and try to get something fairly specific down on the card. It could be something for you personally. It could be something for your family. It could be something for uh, our, the country we live in or the world that we live in. But something that if God would do it, if he would step in and do it, it would be a, a huge answer to prayer, right? And I, I don't want you to, you know... Resist the temptation to write down, you know, he changed the mega ball winner to me. All right. Like, don't resist the temptation to write down things like that, but something specific. Maybe it's that God would provide for your needs. What is something that if God would do it, prayer requests that you have, I'm going to give you a second to think about that. This is just for you. I'm not going to ask you to share this. I'm not going to ask you to show it to anybody. Keep thinking about that. Fold it up, turn it over, hang on to it. We'll come back to that in a moment. As Justin said, we've been in this series uh, over the summer of the parables as they're written in the gospel of Luke. And parables are these stories that Jesus would tell, these illustrations that Jesus would tell to help us understand what it looks like uh, to live a life that is focused on the kingdom of God. And this parable that he tells here in Luke chapter 19 uh, is no different. And maybe, maybe you've been with us over the last few weeks and you, so you've seen the progression of this or maybe you're, you're newer with us. And if we haven't met before, my name's Brian. I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. And I'm excited to look into this passage with you today. You know, I think, I, I don't know about you, but I know for me, when, when I request something or when I ask for something and there's a period where there's a lack of response, I don't know what happens to you in that moment, but think about those times where, where you ask something of a server at a restaurant and they disappear for a long amount of time. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, where you thought they'd be back quickly and then they're just gone for a long time or you're on the customer service line and the person says, let me check on that bat and get back with you. And you start listening to the music and it's two minutes and then five minutes and 10 minutes. And what happens to your mind in those moments where you make a request and then it just seems to take way too long uh, to hear something back. You ask your boss something at work and a week goes by and two weeks go by and you thought for sure that uh, they would have gotten back to you on that request by then. What, what happens in your mind uh, in those moments. I don't know about you, but for me, I think one of two things happen. I start to feel like they probably forgot 
That's, that's one thing that happens when I ask something, hey, can I have a little bit more water at the restaurant? They say, sure. And then, you know, we finish the meal and, and we get into dessert. And I say to myself, well, they've just clearly forgotten, right, that I asked for that. That's one of the things that could happen. The other thing that, that happens in my mind in those moments, and maybe it happens to you, is I feel like, well, one, maybe they forgot. Or two, I start to feel like at the worst, maybe they just don't care about my request. Like when you text someone a question and you can see that they've read it, but there's not those three dots immediately that they're, that they're, they're typing something back and you know they read it and you wait a half an hour and you wait an hour and you start to think to yourself, well, they just don't care whether or not it's true. I mean, maybe they're in a meeting, maybe they're, they're doing something and they just can't respond at that moment, but your brain starts working and you say to yourself, well, I guess they just forgot or maybe at the worst, they just don't even care. And I think in telling this parable, Jesus knew something about you and he knew something about me. That when we ask things of God and God does not respond in a manner that seems timely to us, that our brains start to work like this. That we start to say to ourselves, well, maybe God just doesn't care about this or maybe God doesn't answer my prayers. I've heard that from many people over the years in ministry. Well, pastor, I know God answers prayers, but he just doesn't answer my prayers. He doesn't answer uh, when I try to talk to him. He doesn't say anything. And when we pray and when we ask God for things and God doesn't act, and especially when he doesn't act in a manner that we would think is the right amount of time, Jesus knew this, that our minds start wandering. And we start saying to ourselves, well, because does God care about this? Does God even listen to this? Is he seeing what I'm going through? And why is he not moving? And so Jesus tells this parable right off, right off the bat. He says it in verse one, Luke says, that Jesus tells a parable to the effect that they, that's you and me, ought always to pray and not lose heart. Because the truth is, I know this for myself and I bet it's true for you too, that when God delays in answering prayer, it's really easy to stop praying. When God delays in answering prayer, it's really easy to stop praying. I, I see this happen sometimes in, in my own life or in other people's lives around relationships. We say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for my marriage. I'm going to pray for my child. I'm going to pray for my friend. I'm going to pray for my, my father or my mother, whatever it is that you're going to pray for. And so you start praying for them and they don't change. And you start praying for them and the relationship remains strained and you start praying for them and they continue to make poor decisions. And over time, you just kind of stop. And it's not that you don't care anymore. It's just that God really didn't do much about it, it seems. He didn't really fix it the way you thought he might fix it. And so over time, it wasn't an intentional thing. Even it might not even be, uh, you know, something that you, and you got upset about. And so you quit. It could just be that your brain said, well, you know, I've, I've prayed about it. I've said something about it and God's not doing anything about it. So I guess now isn't the time or, or you just kind of drift away. When God delays in answering prayer, at least it seems like a delay to us. It's really easy to stop praying. And in this passage, like with every passage in scripture, the context here is, is really important. When I was in seminary, the professors always used to say, context is king in the Bible. 
You always have to understand what's around a passage if you're going to understand that passage. The reality is those verse numbers, those chapter numbers, those chapter headings, those aren't original to the text. Those are added later. And sometimes they serve us really well, and sometimes they create unnecessary divisions. And if we go back to verse 17, we see what Jesus is talking about right before he says this parable. And some of the religious leaders had asked Jesus, hey, when is the kingdom coming? When are you going to do all the things that you say you're going to do? And Jesus, he starts talking to them about what that might look like. And he says, there will be a point when I come back and I set everything right. But before then, I'm going to be despised and rejected. He doesn't say this specifically, but we know he's going to go to the cross and be raised again and ascend into heaven. And Jesus says, and then there's going to be a period of time. And it's going to be a long enough period of time that some people are going to get distracted while they're waiting. It's going to be long enough that, that when it's time for me to come back, some people are not going to be ready. They will have gone off to other things. And he gives these pictures and maybe, maybe uh, you, you are somewhat familiar with this passage, but he says that two people will be walking on the road and one will, will disappear and one will be left on the road. It's that passage that Jesus is talking about. It gets to the point where, where I'm going to return and I'm going to set the kingdom in place and some people won't be ready. And Luke says immediately after that, he tells them this parable because he knows that when it takes time, it's easy for us to drift off, easy for us to stop. It's like all those stats you read about every January. And I know this for myself. If something's harder than I anticipate it's going to be, it's really easy for me to give up. And you see that every January you read the stats, all the New Year's resolutions, all the promises we make to ourselves that we're finally going to get organized or we're finally going to take that class that we've been saying, we're finally going to learn that other language and the high percentage of all of us that we start those things and it's more challenging than we anticipate and it's so easy to back off those things, so easy to quit those things, even though we don't necessarily want to. And Jesus knows our tendency and so he says to the religious leaders, he says, it's going to be a gap so that... I'm going to return and some people will have grown tired of waiting for me. And then he turns to his disciples and he says to them, but listen, I'm going to tell you this parable so that you don't lose heart. So that you keep going in prayer. And Jesus says through this parable, something that's really important because when we go grow tired in prayer, when we grow tired of pursuing God with these things, I think one of the things that happens to us is we forget who we pray to. And Jesus tells this story to remind us who we bring our prayer requests to, who we bring our petitions before. And he tells this story of the unjust judge and this woman. And the unjust judge is one that neither fears God nor respects man. And that's a significant phrase because the first two laws, the laws that encapsulate all the other laws in the Old Testament are you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So basically what Jesus is saying is that if you have a judge who neither loves God nor respects people, you have someone that keeps none of God's laws, completely unjust. And the, 
The judge is very self-aware because the widow comes and pleads with him over and over and over again for justice in her case. And he says, uh, he looks himself in the mirror and says, even though I don't love God or respect people, I love his self-awareness in this parable. He says, still, I will give this widow what she's asking for because she's super annoying is basically what he says. And I just want her out of here. And here's the thing that God wants us to know from this parable. That when you pray, you bring your requests before a good judge who will respond. Now, here's the challenge with this parable. It's very easy to come out of this parable and say, okay, that's like God, right? God is this judge and I need to be like the widow. I need to be coming and I need to be bothering him over and over and over again. And if I annoy God enough, if I bother him enough, then maybe he will give me the thing that I am looking for. I mean, this is how I often uh, find myself parenting my four-year-old for better or for worse, right? She knows that if she comes to me over and over and over again and bothers me enough, there's a chance if she catches me at the right time that I might uh, not be the perfect parent and I might say, yeah, just go and do whatever you want. Just please stop asking me. Ice cream for dinner. Go do it, right? Just please don't ask again. And is that our relationship with God? No, Jesus says. Jesus is providing the opposite of what our relationship with God looks like here. He's saying, if this would take place in our world, then how much different would it be with God? And so we have to be careful with this parable, not to walk away and see God as the unjust judge. God is not the unjust judge. Jesus is saying, even if you had a very unjust judge who didn't love God or respect people, even he might give someone who is persistent some level of justice. How much more will your loving father in heaven who loves to hear from his people. Listen to your requests. There is never a moment where you come into God's presence and you lay your request before him that it is a bother. Even more so, we talk a lot about justice in our world and what justice would look like. But we read in scripture over and over again that God is justice. He is just. And it is his definition, it is his nature to be just. So when God acts and when God moves, he is the perfect just judge. He cannot do anything that is unjust. It would be contrary to his nature to act in that way. And so we don't bring our petitions to an unjust judge. But we bring our petitions before the one who is just, the only one who is just, and the one who receives us every single time. God is not the unjust judge, and you, you are not the pleading widow. You are not someone that comes and bothers God and annoys him with your prayers. You are one who comes as a loved child into his presence. And presents your requests before him. The question then, I think, that comes out of this passage. Is this idea that Jesus says that God will give us justice speedily. 
that it will happen quickly. And I got to be honest between you and me. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how God defines quickly or speedily. But I know in my life, it's not exactly how I would define quickly or speedily. You know, the Bible says that a day to the Lord is like a thousand years. I mean, he exists outside of our world. Time is not the same to him. And so often we feel like God should move and God should act and God should fix things. And his delays in answering feel like they take way too long. Like maybe he's no longer moving. And one of the things that I think Jesus reminds us in this parable, and quite honestly, if you walk out of here today and only remember one thing, this is my prayer that you would take this with you. That when God delays in answering your prayer, he's still at work. He never stops. That when God delays in answering a prayer, he is always at work. He is always moving. Jesus says, if this unjudge would move and would grant this lady's request, how much more is your father who loves you going to lavish his goodness upon you? And just because you don't hear something doesn't mean it's not, he's not at work. How many times have you come up with a story in your mind as to why someone's not responding to your requests. And you've told yourself, well, they've forgotten about me or they don't care. And then they come back and they tell you the story. Oh, I was going to respond to your text, but right after I got into your text, I had to walk into an important meeting with my boss. It was supposed to go 30 minutes. It went two hours. When the meeting was over, I responded immediately. And all of a sudden you realize that giant story, that massive narrative that you came up with, that they didn't care and that they forgot and it wasn't important to them, wasn't true at all. And the same thing is true with God. I think sometimes it's easy to lose heart, as Jesus says, as the text says. Say, well, I suppose God doesn't hear me. Or God doesn't care about this one. But just because God delays in answering or you feel like you don't hear from him, does that mean he's not at work? I think we see through scripture that God delays in moving for two basic reasons. And the first one that, that we read about in scripture is that God delays sometimes in doing things so that others may come to him. In fact, Jesus talks about it in this text that, that there will be a day that he returns and he sets everything right. And sometimes we come before God and we say, God, why don't you just fix it all? Why don't you fix the health crises? Why don't you fix the injustices in our world? Why don't you make everything the way it's supposed to be? And God's saying, I am going to come one day and I am going to make everything the way it's supposed to be. But here's the challenge with that. When I do it, that's it. It's new heaven, new earth. And Jesus refers to it in this, in this 
uh, in chapter 17. Some will be ready for me and some won't. But once I come and I said it all correct, that's going to be definitive. And so scripture tells us that God delays in coming because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to know him. So sometimes God is not moving because if he moved definitively, that brother-in-law that you've been praying to come to Christ that might not have that opportunity. But there's another reason why God delays in answering sometimes. And it's not just so that others might come to him. It's also so that you might become like him. See, prayer is not me bringing requests to God so that God will do my will. Prayer is me coming into God's presence and bringing myself before him so that I might be conformed to his will. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years that they've said, pastor, I prayed for this for years, but I got to tell you, if God had given this to me five years ago, I would have been in big trouble. But I can see how God was preparing me and changing me so that when it happened, I was ready. God does his absolute best work in your life and my life when we have to wait on him. He molds us and shapes us. As a church, a number of years ago, we walked through a book and we had a guest speaker come and everything. And the book was called Cat and Dog Theology. I don't know if you've been here over a decade. Maybe you remember Cat and Dog Theology. And uh, Cat and Dog Theology, the book has this very simple premise that a cat looks at its owner and says, you feed me, you clean up after me, you take care of me, I must be God. And a dog looks at its owner and says, you feed me, you take care of me, you clean up after me, you must be God. And the whole premise of the book is that, is that God desires that we would be much more like the dog than we would the cat. But when we come to God and God, if God would just to give us everything we wanted, C.S. Lewis says that many of us, the philosopher and author, many of us, what we want in heaven is a benevolent grandfather who we come and we sit on his lap and he just gives us whatever we ask for. But if we did that, we would, we would put ourselves in the position of God, that God is there just to serve our every need and that he dispenses exactly what we want when we want it. But prayer is not me going to God so that he could do my will. Prayer is me coming to God so that I could be conformed to his will and be made more like him. So that I might be reminded, you're God, you're God, and I'm not. And just because God is not answering in the time that you feel he should does not mean he's not at work. That God might be doing his absolute best work in your life as you wait on him. A couple of uh, months ago, probably well over a year ago now, my, one of my good friends gave me this book uh, that he thought I might enjoy. And he was right. I did enjoy it. And the book is called Endurance. 
And it's a book that was written in the 50s, but has, has recently gained some popularity again. And it tells the story of Ernest Shackleton and his men. And maybe you've heard this story uh, before, but Ernest Shackleton, there was a group of 28 men that in 1914, they set sail off uh, an island called South Georgia Island, off the, the southeastern coast of South America. And their goal was to land on Antarctica and to cross the entire continent. Uh, no one had ever done that before. And so Shackleton and his men, uh, they, on December 5th, 1914, they left South Georgia Island in their boat, the Endurance, headed towards Antarctica. And I think it's hard for us to picture this today, but back in that time period, this was a big deal. This was leading the papers. Uh, this was funded by governments. This was a huge deal uh, because these were areas that people had never set foot on before. And on January 19th, so a little bit over a month, about six weeks, seven weeks after they started sailing, they were just a few miles from shore. I mean, picture this. They could see the land. And while they could see the land, the giant flows of ice encapsulated their boat and held them fast. And while they could see the land, they could not do anything in their giant wooden vessel as the ice began to move them slowly northwest away from Antarctica. And they had plenty of provisions on board, and so they stayed there and tried to keep their spirits up. But, I mean, think about this. Ten months later, on October 27th, 1915, ten months trapped in the ice, slowly traveling northwest, the ice became too much for their ship and their ship was crushed by the ice. So they took their lifeboats and whatever they could salvage out of the ship and they began to live on the ice itself. And it wasn't until April 9th, 1916, 16 months after they set sail, that they finally got to a point where the ice was thin enough that they could hop in their rowboats and try to sail towards land. So they hopped in their rowboats. Sails were torn. They were trying to fit them all together. These little 22, 23 foot boats. They're in the bottom of the boat. Taking ice cold water. Taking the waves. Frost forming. Icicles forming all over their bodies. And they traveled for days. Until finally they made it to this island called Elephant Island. That was almost uninhabitable. After a couple of days on that island, they realized they had to do something. So on the 24th of April, Shackleton took two other men and they got into their best lifeboat and they traveled 650 nautical miles through ice and freezing temperature and crazy wind back to South Georgia Island where they had started so many months before. And like a sick joke, they get to South Georgia Island where there's a, a whaling community. Whaling ships come in and out of the docks there. But they were on the wrong side of the island. And in the middle of the island were these massive ice-covered mountains. The three men with one 50-foot length of rope started to scale 
mountains that a team in the 50s went back. In the 1950s, a team of professional climbers went back and tried to scale these mountains, and they found it exceedingly difficult with all their equipment. And these men with their clothes torn and boots worn and one length of rope, they climbed up the top of the mountain. At some points, just got on their backs and slid down the mountain and finally walked in to the whaling camp called Stromness. So think about being on the other side of this. Think about being on the other side of this where uh, it's now May, late May, 1916. And you know Shackleton and his men departed in December of 1914. The headlines were all over Europe and the Americas about this trip. What do you think has happened? They haven't updated their TikTok profiles in a while. No one's heard anything. There's been no message. We would assume what everyone else assumed. That all 28 men were dead. Either in the water of Antarctica or frozen solid on the land of Antarctica. And I love how this book ends. Matthias Anderson was the station foreman at Stromness. That's the whaling community. He had never met Shackleton, but along with everyone else at South Georgia knew that the Endurance had sailed from there in 1914. And listen to this line. And undoubtedly had been lost with all hands at the bottom of the sea. Just then he heard an outcry and looked up. Two small boys about 11, year old, 11 years old were running, not in play, but in terror. Behind them, Anderson saw the figures of three men walking slowly and with great weariness in his direction. He was puzzled. They were strangers, certainly, but that was not so unusual as the fact that they were coming not from the docks where a ship might come in, but from the direction of the mountains in the inland of the island. By then, the workmen had stopped what they were doing to stare at the three strangers approaching. The foreman stepped forward to meet them. The man in the center spoke in English. Would you please take us to Anton Anderson, he said softly. The foreman shook his head. Anton Anderson was not at Stromness any longer, he explained. He had been replaced by Thorolf Sorley. The Englishman seemed pleased. Good. I know Sorley well. Anderson knocked at the manager's door, and after a moment, Sorley himself opened it. He was in his shirt sleeves and sported his big handlebar mustache. When he saw the three men, he stepped back, and a look of disbelief came over his face. For a long moment, he stood shocked and silent before he spoke. Who are you? The man in the center stepped forward. My name is Shackleton. Again, there was silence. And some say that sorely turned away and wept. They went back, picked up all 25 men from Elephant Island. No one was lost. All 28 men living on the boat, living on the ice, living on the island. 
Just because you don't hear something doesn't mean something's not happening. Just because you don't feel like you're getting the response that you want, just because you don't feel like you're seeing the, the action that you want to see, doesn't mean that God's not at work. And I wonder how many of us, as you, as you look at the card that you filled out, or as you think about the things that you've prayed for over the years, we've simply given up because we thought by now God would have moved. And then if something was happening and God was alive, and if he was working, that he would have fixed things by now. And for some of you, it's the reason why you're considering walking away from this whole thing is because you're thinking that God would have done something and God would have moved and God would have acted. But just because you're not hearing anything in the time that you feel like you should hear it doesn't mean that God's not working. Because when it comes to prayer, the question is not, will God respond? The question is, when God responds, will you be waiting? That's Jesus's question at the, at the end of this parable. I tell you, Jesus says, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when I return, when the son of man comes, Jesus says at the end, will I find faith on earth? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close out our time together this morning. And I'd invite you, if you would, to take a moment and to pick up that card that you had at the beginning of this message and to take a look at it. Maybe there's something on this card that you used to pray for that you haven't prayed for in a while. It's felt like God wasn't answering, that God wasn't responding. And you kind of said, well, I'll just, I guess I'll just figure it out on my own. Or maybe there's something on this card that you've really never truly prayed about. I want to remind you today that you serve a good God who longs to hear from you. So as we close out this service today, I'd encourage you to take whatever it is that you have there and bring it before the Lord. Even if you feel like you're someone that doesn't really know how to pray or how to do it, that you would come before him and just talk to him. You'd set it before his feet, recognizing that the question is not, is God going to hear you? And is he going to respond? The question is, when God begins to move, will he still find you faithful in that moment? Things are happening. When it feels like God's not speaking, things are moving. God is at work. So will you bring your request before him? God, this morning we bring these things before you and lay them at your feet. God, asking you that you would give us the courage and the strength that we need to be people of faith who are constantly believing and trusting that you're at work even when it feels like we're not hearing anything or seeing anything, that things are happening, that you're moving. Thank you that there is this moment, Lord, where you set all things new. Father, help us to be faithful. 
So we bring these requests before you anew, asking you to move, asking you to work, asking you to change us to make us more like you. Pray it in Jesus' name.